So I want to begin asking God to bless the teaching of his word, but also to bless the gifts given to our fellowship. And we thank you, Lord, for your provision. And Lord, back in 1992, we officially became a church, began to worship in this place, a place, Lord, that had a very small congregation and we're not much different this day. But you've allowed us to not only establish ourselves in this community, but to continue to care for this place and the people that you have given us. And we thank you, Lord, for those who have been part of this church body in times past, those who are currently worshiping with us. And Lord, for our new family members who worship via video and or through our radio station, we thank you, Lord, for all these different ways that you've allowed us to do ministry. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless our work that you've called us to. Help us, Lord, to continue to be a light in a very dark world at times. Help us to continue to shine the light of truth. And so we thank you, Lord, for the gifts given as we continue to use these for your glory. We thank you, Lord, that we'll be able to take some further steps regarding ministry here through radio and through our video streaming. And we just pray, Lord, that you would help us as we prepare these and those who would work in these ministries. We thank you, Lord, for those who serve in this church, for those who love you. We do pray, Lord, that you would be with us as we read here in Revelation chapter 5 of the worship there around the throne of God and the worship, Lord, that focuses here in this chapter upon the Lamb who is worthy, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to not only read about this time of worship, but to enter in to worship ourselves. We pray in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So we're going to pick up in Revelation chapter 5. We come to Revelation chapter 4, all the way through 22, we come to the third division of the book of Revelation. And talking about the things that are to come. So we're looking to the future where John in chapter 4 was caught up into the heavenly realm by the Spirit of God. For John, it was a type of a rapture. He was caught up by God into heaven's glory to be shown things that were yet to come that are still yet to come and it is a form of the rapture of the church one day the lord is coming for his church he's coming again and the word of god tells us that we as the church will hear the trumpet of god and will be caught up together in the air to be with the lord from that time forward well john gives us a glimpse of this and gives us a glimpse of the heavenly throne room of God. Last week, if you recall, Revelation chapter 4 had to do largely with he who sat on the throne. So God the Father was the focus of Revelation chapter 4. And we experienced the worship there in the throne of God as the four living creatures and the 24 elders worship before the Lord, the 24 elders casting their crowns before the Lord, and that phrase, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. As they cast their crowns before the Lord, 
the focus largely seemed to be upon God the Father. But as we come to Revelation chapter 5, we see a, a change of focus with a scroll that is presented from the throne of God with the question, who is worthy to open the scroll? And today we're going to look at a message that I entitled, again, taking the title right from Scripture, Worthy is the Lamb, Revelation chapter 5. I've broken it into four sections, a seven-sealed scroll, verses 1 through 4, a slain lamb, verses 5 through 7, a new song, verses 8 through 10, and worthy is the lamb, lamb, not land, worthy is the lamb, verses 11 through 14. I've been a little off this morning, ever since after worship practice, I don't know what it is, but I struggled making a A minor seventh on the guitar, and that was just like the end of me. So Lord, I hope and pray that you would help me to effectively teach your word this morning, and uh, Lord, that your spirit would not only be with my heart and my mind and my mouth, but be with us, Lord, that we would truly hear what the spirit is saying to the church, to this church this day, we pray in the name of Jesus, amen. It's my desire. Sometimes you just kind of get something throws you and it, it keeps throwing you. So hopefully we can get past this. It's just an A minor seventh, Lily would say to me. <laughs> Let's go ahead and read our first point in the seven sealed scroll, verses one through four. It says, Revelation chapter five. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals. And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. So John saw, he's telling us of this scroll that was in the right hand of God the Father who sat on the throne. A scroll that was written on the inside and out of it and that was sealed with seven seals. If you remember in the Bible, the number seven is the number of completion. So it has this perfect sealing upon it. It's been sealed by the seven seals. And the question is asked, who is able or worthy to open the scroll, to loose its seals? And we see, I believe, by even the mention of a strong angel asked this question, we discover that strength did not make one worthy to open the scroll. As for scrolls, we find them written before in the Bible. We know originally uh, that's how Bible uh, was given to us in many ways, written on scrolls to this day in Jewish synagogues. They have their scrolls that they read from every week in worship in the synagogues. And this is something that we find that was given from God to Isaiah in Isaiah 29:11. We read there, the whole vision has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed, which men deliver to one 
who was literate, saying, read this, please. And he says, I cannot, for it is sealed. So we find that there were sealed scrolls before, the seal of authority. It was kind of like our postmarks today. If you get your neighbor's mail, you are not supposed to open it and wonder what the neighbor uh, family member is saying about the neighbor or anything. You're just supposed to be a polite neighbor and walk it next door and say, this was delivered to us by mistake. It's a sealed letter with a postmark on it. This was a sealed scroll with seven seals, seals of authority. Only those who were authorized could open it. In this case, only the one who was worthy. In Daniel 8.26, again, we find, And the vision of the evening and morning, which was told is true. Therefore, seal up the vision, for it refers to many days in the future. There, Daniel was given a vision of the evenings, plural, and the mornings, and the word of God saying to him that this vision is true, but I want you to seal it up because it's for the future, not for now. And again in Daniel 12:4, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Daniel was told of visions of the future, of the time of the end. He was told of things that have still not yet have taken place, some that he was told has taken place, but he was told to seal it up, put it in the book, seal it up. It's for the future. And yet there in heaven with the strong angel asking the question, who is worthy to open the seals of this scroll? None were found worthy initially in verses 3 and 4 we discover. No one in heaven or on the earth, or under the earth, was able to open the scroll, or to look at it. And John says, so I wept much. Because no one was found worthy. It just emotionally grabbed John. No one's worthy. No one in heaven, on the earth, or under the earth, was able to open the scroll, even to look upon the scroll itself. Throughout the ages, I believe many have attempted to take the scroll from God's hands. And I was thinking about this. Of course, Satan, one, would be on that list to take the scroll. But how about others mentioned in the Bible of the Old Testament? We have Nimrod or the pharaohs of Egypt or Nebuchadnezzar or Cyrus or Darius, Alexander the Great. During the New Testament time, uh, Nero would be one or uh, maybe we could think of Herod the Great would be one who would want to have taken that scroll. I was thinking currently of the powerful people of our world. I went to Forbes, their current list of the top five most powerful people in the world, according to Forbes. Vladimir Putin, Donald Trump, Angela Merkel, Jeff Bezos, uh, one of the... Uh, which really seemed to trouble us, the tech giants. Only one of the tech giants, Jeff Bezos, gets on the top of that top five list. But powerful people wanting to take control, have control to take that scroll. Now many believe, and I personally would agree, that this scroll was the title deed of the earth. The Bible tells us in Romans 8, 20 through 22, for the creation was subjected to futility, 
not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. When was creation subjected to futility? Well, it was at the fall when Adam and Eve took of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that when God cursed Adam, he did not curse Adam personally, but he said, cursed is the ground for your sake. Creation was subjected to futility. At the fall, Adam and Eve sinned against God and they actually forfeited their right. Adam was not only created by God, but told by God in Genesis 1.28 to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and to subdue it. We looked at this this past Wednesday evening as we were looking at Genesis chapters 8 and 9, where after the flood, when Moses, or when Noah and his sons came out of the ark, God again repeated very similar phrase that he had given to Adam and Eve, He told Noah and his sons to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth. But he did not say to them to subdue the earth. I believe one of the reasons he did not say to subdue the earth, some who have called dominion theology, was because Adam had forfeited that right. In fact, he had forfeited that right, the title deed of the earth, we might say, to that of Satan himself. And we find in Scripture that Paul called Satan the God and the prince of this world. In 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4, he said, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 2. Again, Paul writes, And you, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, the prince of the power of the air. We had discovered that uh, when... I was initially getting our church involved with doing low-power radio station and a few times went to some of the radio conferences that they had had to learn about how to do radio, something that we had never done before. They had tracked within the Calvary Chapel communities that churches who had adopted the low-power radio stations or even full-power radio stations In their churches, they had tracked that there was a high number of sickness and death within the fellowships. And we, at that time, were going through quite a bit of uh, a shrinking back of the church, but it was God doing it by taking people away. It seemed that the struggles were great at that time. And it was what they had said is that it's because we are beginning to do battle against the prince and the power of the air by taking the word of God to the airwaves. 
that we were doing battle against Satan and an area that he had claimed, his territory. And the church is saying, no, we're going to take back some of that territory. But Paul referred to Satan as the ruler of this world. But more than that, we find that when Jesus was tempted by Satan, after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights before he had taken food, when the devil came and tempted him there in the wilderness, beginning by asking him to take bread and to turn stones into bread, at one point, the Bible tells us in Matthew 4, verses 8 through 10, again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. We notice that Jesus did not say to Satan, you do not have the authority to give these things to me. He didn't argue the authority of Satan at this point because Satan had, through the fall, had Adam given up his rights, his dominion to subdue the earth. No longer would God tell mankind to subdue the earth. But that had been forfeited to Satan through the fall. But Jesus also knew that he had come and that his purpose was to go to the cross, to redeem mankind back to the Father, to pay the debt of sin that he might be found worthy, found worthy to take that scroll from the hand of the Father. John looked and saw that no one in heaven and on the earth or under the earth were found worthy John said, and I wept much, but little did he know that there was one who was worthy. We're going to meet him now because only one is worthy to open the seven sealed scroll. Here in chapter five, verses five through seven, we find a slain, slain lamb. Five through seven, it says, but one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne of the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as though he had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. A slain lamb was found worthy there in the midst of the throne room of God. There in the midst of the four living creatures, the 24 elders. There, John said, I saw the lion of Judah. I saw the root of David. I saw a lamb as though he was slain. The line of Judah takes us back to our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Isaiah 47.4 tells us, As for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, is His name, the Holy One of Israel. He is the Holy One of Israel because He is the Lion of Judah. It takes us back to the prophecy that Israel spoke over His Son, Judah, in Genesis 49, verses 9 and 10. When he spoke a blessing over Judah, he said, Judah is a lion's whelp. 
from the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. As a lion, who shall arouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. This passage not only connects the Lion of Judah to the tribe of Judah, this scepter connecting the Messiah until Shiloh comes, the Prince of Peace until Shiloh comes. The scepter, the lawgiver, shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Isaiah 33:22 And the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, and he will save us. But he's also the root of David. The root of David in Revelation 22:16, Jesus said, "I, Jesus, am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star." So we find this phrase again, the root of David in the last chapter of the book of Revelation, where Jesus there said, I am both the root and the offspring of David. The root of David speaks about Jesus' divine nature, thus making Jesus David's Lord. I am the root of David. Because of the right of creation, as the Bible tells us in Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17, concerning Jesus, Paul writes to us, For by him all things that were created in heaven and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. He said, I am the root of David. I am before all things. All things have come through me. And in me all things consist, thus making Jesus the roots of David. But there in Revelation 22:16, he also said, I am the offspring of David. The offspring of David refers to Jesus' human nature, where the root of David referred to his divine nature. The offspring of David refers to his humanity, a descendant of David. In Romans 1:3, it tells us concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. He is the line of the tribe of Judah. He is the root of David. He was as a lamb who was slain, a lamb with seven horns and seven eyes in verses 6 and 7. As John looked, he saw this lamb as though he had been slain standing there in the midst of the throne room of God. And this lamb having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. Jesus is the lamb, as though he had been slain. After Jesus' resurrection, we find that he offered his marks of his crucifixion as proof of his resurrection, that it was actually Jesus. Remember, he had said to Thomas, In John 20, verse 27. Reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. I believe that 
Jesus, when we see him at first in heaven, he'll bear the marks of his crucifixion. He bore the marks of that. After his resurrection, he showed the marks as proof of his identity to his disciples. Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 53, 4-7, Surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him as stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. His chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughterer, as a sheep before the shearer is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Jesus connected to this lamb from Old Testament prophecies to the New Testament and where John introduced him in John 1.29 as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And yet, in the future, Zechariah said of the nation of Israel in Zechariah 13.6 and also 12.10, he said, And one will say to him, What are these wounds between your arms? And he will answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. And then in Zechariah 12.10, I will pour out on the house of David, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication. And they will look on me, whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one who mourns for an only son who grieves for him as one who grieves for the firstborn. They will look on him whom they had pierced. The lamb also had seven horns. He had seven horns that represents his complete power. Remember seven, the number of completion. Also his seven eyes upon the horns, thinking about his Complete knowledge. And John telling us that these are the seven spirits of God that go forth in all the earth. Speaking about the fullness of the Holy Spirit that was upon Jesus Christ. Operating in Jesus and through Jesus when he was here upon the earth, but also continues into heaven. A glimpse of the triunity of the Godhead again. As we have God the Father there on the throne with the scroll. God the Son is the Lamb who was slain, and the Holy Spirit represented through these seven eyes of the seven horns. In Mark 1, verses 9 through 11, it says, And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came up from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized there by John at the Jordan. And immediately coming from the water, he saw the heavens part and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So the Spirit of God, not only at one point John would testify, not only did I see the Spirit descend upon Jesus, but He remained upon Him. The fullness of the Holy Spirit upon the Son of God. Harry Ironside wrote concerning this passage. 
It is not a mighty bull that is seen, but a lamb, a little lamb, with seven horns. Just as horns speak of power, seven speaks of perfection. Perfect power belongs to the Lamb of God. We are told that he had seven eyes, which is interpreted as meaning the seven spirits of God who was sent forth into all the earth. We have connected this phrase with Isaiah 11, 1 and 2. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, according to Colossians 2, 9. All spiritual graces are his, and it is he who gives the Holy Spirit to us. We connect this with Isaiah 11.2, Ironside said. And we have seen this verse, the seven spirits of God. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of fear. And only the Lamb, Jesus Christ, is worthy to open the seven-sealed scroll. So a new song breaks out into heaven. I love new songs. I love when we're able to worship in new songs. And we have been given a glimpse of that last week with the song that was sung there in Revelation 4, 8. And the holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then in verse 11, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you were created, you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. And now we're given another song of worship. Here we find in verses 8 through 10 of Revelation 5. And now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You're worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals. You were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and of people and nations and have made us kings and priests of our God and we shall reign on the earth. So up to this point, Jesus being at the right hand of the Father, according to Hebrews 7.25 Jesus now at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. As the Lamb who was slain upon the cross was buried in a tomb, resurrected from the grave, ascended into heaven, now at the right hand of the Father making intercession for the saints. But now He rises. Now He rises to bring judgment upon the earth. In chapter 4 we saw the worship being lifted up toward the Father, but now here in chapter 5, worship is being lifted up toward the Lamb. Why? Because God the Father has committed all judgment to the Son. In John 5, 22 and 23, it tells us, For the Father judges no one, Jesus tells us, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. At our church, we have the motto of believe, receive, grow, and go. And I purposely began with the necessity 
of Hebrews 11.6 that we must first believe that God is, but then we move down to the receive of Romans 5.17 that we have to receive the Son. We discover in this world today that there are many who believe that God is, that there is a God, but they do not recognize God's only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. The two go together. John 5, 23, let me read that for you again. That all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. The two go together. We notice that the elders had the golden harps. Perhaps this is where we get that image of angels sitting on the white clouds playing the harps of God. We find harps and angels connected in Scripture in other places, but more so we find angels singing in the heavenly realm. As it says in Psalm 141:2, let my prayer be set before you as an incense and the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Here they were holding these golden bowls that were full of the prayers of the saints. And the psalmist saying, let my prayers ascend before you as incense, that of the evening sacrifice. We find the prayers of the saints before the throne room of God. Again, in Revelation 8, verses 3 and 4, it says, And another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. And he was given much incense that it should be offered with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar that was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hands. We find that the rising of the incense being symbolic of our prayers coming before the throne of God. We see them being held in these golden bowls before the Lord. And perhaps... They are being held in these golden bowls in the sense that God is waiting for the right time, the perfect time to answer those prayers. For God not only hears our prayers, but Jesus is there, Hebrews 7.25 again, making intercession for us. And thus our prayers are held until the right time for God to answer them. And the prayer is coming before the throne of God, as seen here. And these golden bolts, as seen in Scripture as incense rising up before the heavenly realm, that the Lord hears our prayers. He answers prayers. It's worth praying to God. It's worth beginning our days in prayer to God. To take time to, instead of rushing out the door, and to... Pray in the sense of just something that we habitually do, and it's a good habit to pray, but sometimes those habits can get us stuck in a rut that has no meaning any longer. But it's good to pray and to know that the Lord hears our prayers. He may not answer in the timing that we would always like. He may wait sometimes for years to answer a prayer. There was a time in our family's life where our son was in blatant rebellion against the Lord, our God. And twice the Lord spoke to me that he would restore and redeem our son. 
But the years went by. And I began asking the Lord, I know you're going to redeem him, but how long? Don't let him be an old man. In my mind, and here's the danger, and we all see this, the longer someone stays apart from Christ, the more baggage they pick up in this world, the more garbage that comes along with them. And they just have this load of garbage that comes with them, which God can resolve and take care of. But it's also just makes situations harder and worse. We know that. So there was a point to where I was asking the Lord, I know what you have spoken to my heart, but how long, Lord? How long until these answers will come? And I had to just rest, knowing that he had spoken to me. He had said, your son will be healed. So I had to rest in the promises of God. And sometimes all we can do is pray and rest in the promises of God. God hears our prayers and will answer in accordance to his will over our lives. So in verses 9 and 10, we find the lamb who was slain. They're singing a new song to him. You are worthy, the lyrics of this song. You are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals. For you were slain. You have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. We are one in the body of Christ. In our world today, here in the United States, there are those who are trying to divide us. But in the church, we are one in the body of Christ. We need not let the world try to divide the body of Christ. And yet we find that there are those within the church that are buying the lie that's coming from the world. We need to know that Jesus Christ has redeemed us. Listen to this. It is the song of the redeemed. This is the song that the redeemed is singing to the Lord because the Lord has come to redeem us to God by his blood out of every tribe, out of every tongue, out of every people, out of every nation. It is the Lord who has made us kings and priests. I told you several weeks ago, if you want to just start calling me King John. No. No. <laughs> But the Bible promises us this, that he has made us kings and priests. Some would say that this is something that could be translated as he has made us a kingdom of priests. Certainly, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are to represent Christ in this world today. But here we are given reasons why the lamb is worthy to take the scroll, to open its seal, first because he, is, he was slain. He was slain. As John said in John 1, 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In Revelation 13, 8, the Lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. Yet he was slain when he went to the cross. Second, because he has redeemed us by his blood. I often say this when we have communion service. I'll probably repeat it next week as we have communion together. But I talk about in the Old and New Testament how it twice tells us, once in the Old Testament, once in the New Testament, that it's the blood that makes atonement for our sins. 
Well, here's the verses. I often mention that, but I don't give us the verses. In the Old Testament, it's Leviticus 17:11, which says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the souls. And there in the New Testament, Hebrews 9.22, For according to the law, almost all things are purified with the blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, no forgiveness of sin. He has redeemed us. Why is he worthy? First, because he was slain. Second, because he has redeemed us by his blood. And third, because we are the redeemed of the Lamb. We are the redeemed of the Lamb. He has called us out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. We are one in the body of Christ. Isaiah 49.6 tells us, Is it a small thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribe of Jacob to restore the preserved ones of Israel and also to give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be salvation? My salvation to the ends of the earth. God's saying to Jesus, my servant, that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. That is why Romans 10:13 tells us, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be slain. It doesn't matter from what tribe, what tongue, what people, what nation you come from. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. By his blood, he has redeemed us. And he'll make us this kingdom of priests. He'll make us kings and priests that we might reign with him upon the earth. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 tells us, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You were, who were once not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. This scene that is laid out before us in heaven, we find that the Lamb of God is no longer seated at the right hand of God. He is seen walking in heaven, coming to take the book out of the right hand of God, coming to take that scroll with the seven seals, that the work might proceed upon this earth, his work in the nation of Israel that he still has yet to do in the nation of Israel, his work that he still has to do among the nations of this world, the judgment that will come upon this world. The Lamb, Jesus Christ, is worthy. And they sing a new song. And it's the song of the church that they are singing. The church, the redeemed of the Lord. And finally, 11 through 14, worthy is the Lamb. We find the host of heaven begins to sing. In verses 11 and 12, we find, Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures, the elders, the number of them, 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying in a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessings. The host of heaven 
singing out. John said many angels, living creatures, the elders combining in this worship where he just describes them as 10,000 times, 10,000 thousands upon thousands. This great heavenly host of angelic beings and those of the redeemed of the Lord singing out worship to the Lord. The purpose of their worship, the Lamb, having been found worthy, has received the scroll. He who has received the power, the wisdom, the riches, the strength, the honor, the glory, and the blessing. Regarding this heavenly worship, Barnhouse wrote, the subject of the new song is not the blessing of the redeemed already old, but the joy of the host is expressed that Christ is about to take power and exercise dominion. One day the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back to this earth. He's coming back to rule and reign over this earth. And the world has their plan. And I see what's going on in our world today playing perfectly into the plan of God. Our world today thinks that we should be a nations without borders. And they've opened our borders here in the United States to allow people to pour in. But the Bible long ago spoke of the world coming under one government, one form of government, one leading over this world, one who is called the Antichrist. And so for the end times to unfold as the Bible has prophesied, we find that the world, it's necessary for the world to come into this form of a united world under one form of government with one leader over the nations of the world. And there are those who are jockeying in position for this. They have a plan that I believe four years ago was interrupted in our nation. And now that the left has taken control of our nation again, it's like rapid fire. They're trying to get back on track. They were trying to bring it slow. But people in the United States began to wake up. And the problem is, is that they continue to wake up. And I hope they do. I don't know how long it'll be until Jesus comes to take his place of dominion over this earth. But for the sake of our children, I pray, Lord, that our nation would wake up to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ once again. For the sake of the children who right now are being sacrificed in our world today. In fact, our government currently is planning on beginning to teach our children. And they have a method about this. And this is what they've already passed and are planning to do. They call it a... There's this infrastructure bill, but an infrastructure of humanity. So we think of infrastructure, we think of roads and bridges and telephone lines, and, and they're thinking controlling people in their hearts. And they realize that they need to do it at a younger and younger age. And so in part of their plan, now they are opening up that anyone with a child from three years old and up, they'll begin to receive money from the government that their children can go into daycare instead of 
going to school in kindergarten or first grade, we find that now they want them at three years old. It's not early enough to get them at five years old. Let's get them at three. There was a brilliant man, A.E. Wildersmith, a creation scientist that Lily and I had the privilege of hearing him speak publicly when we lived out in California. And he stood for the truth of the word of God way before it was popular in the scientific realm to stand in truth. In fact, he's a German man that was, he knew that if he would stay with Germany, they would have him, because of his brilliance, helping to develop the atom bomb. And he just didn't want to do that. And so he stood against this. In fact, as a young man in his early 20s, he stood before his whole community, before a thousand plus people, telling them why he did not want to be a scientist for the German army. He eventually defected, ended up in England, and then over here in the United States. He taught at Wheaton College, just close to us here in Chicago. A very brilliant man. But he was dependent upon the word of God. He was dependent upon the truth of God. He understood science when our world today refuses to understand science as it is in our nation for many years. They taught that, like my boss's children, my boss was a German man who, not currently, of course, but when I was a brick mason, and uh, when his kids went to school, his school teachers told them to quit talking German to your children in their house. They need to learn English. A.E. Wildersmith said that I think we make a grave mistake by not teaching our children languages in the early ages. And he's talking from three to five years old, getting back to my point in a long way, that children, their minds are able to grasp these languages at an early age. And he was one that at an early age knew, I think, two or three languages already. Our government is realizing at an early age you can capture a person's heart as early as three years old. Our world is trying to conform into the image that they believe this world should be. But the Lord is coming one day. And this heavenly worship breaks out. The subject of this new song, Barnhouse said, is not a blessing of redemption already old, but the joy of the host expressed that Christ is about to take power and exercise dominion. Right now the Lord is at the right hand of the Father, but one day he will rise to take the scroll from the hand of the Father. One day he will arise because he is worthy. And all heaven will break out in worship on that day. In verses 13 and 14 we close out, and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such that are in the sea, and all that are in them. I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. And the chapter closes with 
all creation worshiping the Lord. He said, on earth, under the earth, that which is in heaven and on the seas, all that is in them, they join in this heavenly worship, worship then being directed toward the Father, him who sits on the throne and the Lamb. And so we find that God is being worshipped here. Much like chapter 4, their worship is feeding off of one another. In chapter 4, we find the four living creatures saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And when they would say this chant before the throne, the 24 elders would bow down before the throne, casting their crowns before the throne of God. And now we find in chapter 5 that worship is feeding off of one another again as all of heaven worship the Lord. Now every creature upon the earth breaks out in this heavenly worship saying blessing and honor and glory and power to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. It's a great reminder for us that the importance of our being gathered together as a body of Christ, that in worship we strengthen one another. In our worship we feed off of one another. It's important for the body of Christ to gather together to encourage one another in these last days. And why do we worship? Because the Lamb is worthy. The Lamb who has been slain, His blood has washed away our sins. Revelation 1, 5 and 6, we had already learned in the first week of our study in the book of Revelation, Revelation 1, 5, to Him who loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You know, we don't have to wait to get to heaven to be part of this heavenly worship scene. We can do so right now because the Lamb is worthy. The Lamb is on the throne. Today we've seen worthy is the Lamb, Revelation chapter 5. We've been introduced to this seven-sealed scroll, and we discovered that only one is worthy to open this scroll. And then we were introduced to a slain lamb in verses 5 through 7, and only the lamb, Jesus Christ, is worthy to open this seven-sealed scroll. We'll get into the opening of that scroll as we continue the book of Revelation in the next few weeks. But they sang a new song to the Lord in verses 8 through 10. And this new song we discovered is the song of the church, the song of the redeemed, of the Lamb. And all of heaven and all of earth breaks out in worship in verses 11 through 14 because the Lamb is worthy. There's only one way for us to experience this worship in the heavenly throne room. And it's through faith in Jesus Christ. Because the Lamb is found worthy, because the Lamb was slain, Jesus died upon the cross. He was buried. He rose again from the grave according to the Scriptures. But in order to receive that forgiveness of sin, it comes through faith in Jesus Christ. So let's go ahead and stand together. We're going to go through our church motto of believe and receive Grow and go. And the necessity, I've already mentioned this once, 
the necessity of belief in God. And many believe that there is a God. And that is necessary in the process of our faith. So the Bible tells us, and we say together, Hebrews 11:6, but without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews 11:6. According to the word of God, we must believe that he is. But also we have to receive his son as our savior. And we say together Romans 5:17 For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign through the one, Jesus Christ. Romans 5.17 We have to receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. But we have to grow in our faith as well. Knowing Jesus but growing in our faith It's so important that we continue to learn of Christ and his work in our lives and how he works through our lives. And so we say together, 2 Peter 3.18, But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. 2 Peter 3.18. And finally, we need to go. We need to share our faith with others. And we say together, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. It's good to know that Jesus is with us. His promise, I'm with you always. It could be, it seems to be, that we're going to have to learn to take stands in this world of ours that we as the church perhaps are no longer accustomed to doing. But our world is changing rapidly. And we will either change with the world that is drawing further away from God or we'll stand with the word of God that will keep us close to our Father. It's good to know that Jesus will be with those who will stand, saying, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. If you have questions regarding faith, for those who are with us today, please uh, talk with me. I'd love to share faith with you. Pastor Kevin, right now, he's in the back room working with the Facebook people who are watching on Facebook, but... Also, if you have questions, there's others here. We'd love to share Christ with you. If you have questions regarding your faith and you're listening through our radio ministry or maybe through social media, please email us at cclv at comcast.net, cclv at comcast.net. As the worship team comes, we're going to close out in a song of worship. And as they come, I'm going to say a prayer for us now. So, Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us a time to worship, to look into your word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are worthy, that you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Help us, Lord, to be a part of this heavenly worship one day. Until that day, Lord, help us to stand in your truth this day. 
In a world, Lord, that seems to be rapidly changing, drifting further and further away from your truth. And Lord, these changes are even coming into the church. So Lord, help us to be a people who will guard these things, who will guard your word, to keep it close to our hearts. Because Lord, we understand that you are worthy that it's by your blood that you have redeemed us. And I pray, Lord, one day we as the body of Christ would be able to sing in this heavenly chorus. Until that day, Lord, I pray that we would encourage one another until we see you face to face. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.